Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? All right. Happy New Year. Welcome to church. First time in 2022. Awesome. You made it here. So good to see you guys. You're looking good, looking fine. How many of you spent all last week, you know, exercising, developing good habits, just really, you know, eating a lot of vegetables? Anybody? How many of you spent just really, I mean, just be honest, you're in church, don't lie. Like me, just really a god-awful amount of time on a couch watching football, eating tons of food. Come on, that's okay. Now, you know, the, the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. And there's also like the New Year's resolution thing. So we're just, everybody just move your hands like this. We're just wiping the slate clean. It's a brand new year. Uh, I ate a lot of food. We ate a lot of good food this last week. And, uh, you know, if you've ever, if any of you have kids, you've probably heard these words from your children. I've heard them many times. I'm starving. Have you ever heard this from your kids? And I always look at my kids when they say they're starving, and I'm like, no, you're not. Because kids will always say they're starving, and they've probably eaten in the last two hours, right? This is how it goes. Uh, but how many of you have ever said the words, I'm starving, okay? Now, I've, I've said these words many times, I'm starving, and you look at me and you go, definitely not true. Uh, I have been accused of hyperbole, exaggeration, and, and of course, any time I've ever said, I'm starving in my life. Anybody could simply look at me and realize that's not the case. But there have been times in my life where I have felt just ridiculously over the top hungry. And one of those times was, this is going to surprise you, but this was many years ago. I was living in Medford and I used to ride my bike. I had like a road bike and I did the whole thing like skinny shorts, not to cause anybody to stumble, but I wore them, you know, those tight skinny shorts. And I had like the, the fake uh, cleats, you know, that you click into your click-in pedals and I would pedal my road bike. And I was, I was that guy who you men that drive like big trucks, like you didn't like me because I was in the road, like bicycle on the road too. You know, I was that guy. And I used to ride my bike about 150 to 200 miles a week. So I actually, you know, surprisingly, I was outside, yes, and I was exercising. Things I've given up now, but in the past I used to engage in. And some friends of mine that were, we, we used to bike together, uh, ride our bikes together, but like in a manly, cool way, not like when you're kids and you ride bikes together. This is different because we were adults and we had equipment, you know, specifically designed for it. This is just a joke, but it wasn't good. Anyways, <laughs> my friend said, let's do, the, uh, let's do the, the, the greenway. So down in Rogue Valley, if you're familiar with the area, we, there's a bike path that goes from Central Point all the way to the uh, south side of Ashland. And so it's about 20 miles and we decided we were going to ride on the Greenway. Now, what's fun about the Greenway is not only do you get exercise and you're riding on the bike, but you also get to fight usually three to five times a knife fight while you're on that path. So it's kind of an added bonus there. And, uh, and so we decided we're going to ride up the Greenway and we get on our bikes. I think Kayla's brother Aaron might have been on this ride. So Aaron Martinez, who's now the pastor of Joy Grants Pass, he was on the bike ride, our friend Greg. And so we get on our, our bikes and we ride about 20 miles and there happened to be a headwind this day, which really matters when you're actually human powering your machine, uh, which I find foolish now. I just want to be in a car with air conditioning. But at the time, I was into it. And so I was riding this. We had a headwind against us. And it's actually uphill from Medford to Ashland. And so this 20-mile ride, kind of going the whole way. And by the time we get to Ashland, I felt this deep, aching, desperate hunger uh, crying out from my very bones. I was, and I'm like, I'm starving. Now, I wasn't really starving, but I had just basically depleted all of my energy. If you've ever gone on, a, on an ex, you know, some exercise where it just really draws it all out of you. And so my friend Greg says, well, hey guys, I want to buy you pizza 
at the uh, Great American Pizza Company or whatever, Northwest Pizza Company there in Ashland, and we were like, yes and amen. So we go to this place, and he orders this gigantic, like, deep dish combo pizza, and I tore into that thing, and I, I felt so hungry. I felt like I was a bottomless pit. I've never eaten like this in my life and, until a couple times this week, but, <laughs> but I just, I was tearing into this pizza. I was so hungry, I could not stop, and I think I drank an entire pitcher of root beer at the same time, undoing the entire ride uh, of physical benefit. Um, I ate, I don't know how many, 3,000, 4,000 calories, just, just absolutely demolished that pizza, and I was still hungry. Now, other than just grossing you out with my gluttony, there is a purpose to this story. As I was preparing for this series in prayer, the Lord reminded me of that moment, and I thought about that hunger that I felt, that desperate hunger, and maybe you can think back into your own life and think about a time when you just felt absolutely empty and you were desperate to eat. You needed some, some food. And I thought about that that is the exact feeling of hunger that we should have for God. That level of desperation, that level of if I can't get into that restaurant and get that food into me, I just might perish. There's a desperate hunger. We're in this new series called Starving. And, and the whole idea of this is not that we would talk about prayer and fasting and kind of learn how to be more spiritually disciplined just to kind of pat ourselves on the back, but it's to get ourselves to a place where we understand what it means to be legitimately hungry for God. It reminds me of a story in the life of Jesus. Uh, it's in the book of Matthew chapter 4. We're going to put it on the screen. Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist, and he goes out. He's on a fast, a 40-day fast. He goes out into the wilderness, and we see here the devil comes to him. It says, during that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. Anytime the devil comes to you, you know, you don't need like a theology degree. Guess what you can just say? No. Jesus says no. And then he says this brilliant statement, which I think has so much depth and meaning, both in this time then and also for us today. He says no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is giving us something in a poignant statement that illustrates a broader principle, which is this. We are both physical beings. We have natural desires. And, I, and hear me, I'm not saying sinful desires because the desire to eat, even my desire to consume an entire pizza after this long bike ride, wasn't a sinful desire in and of itself. Our desire to go out and have a nice meal today and a desire to go lay down on a nice bed and be comfortable later this afternoon and take a nap because that's like a God-given right Sunday nap. Come on. It's like Constitution Sunday nap. I mean, it's right there. And uh, those aren't sinful desires, but they're natural desires. And they come from the fact that we are physical beings. But Jesus says we're not just physical beings. We're also spiritual beings. And our spiritual uh, hunger and our, our spiritual nature and our physical nature, our natural nature, oftentimes are wrestling and at war with one another. And human beings, if left to our own devices, we oftentimes will satisfy and fulfill the needs of our flesh or our natural nature far, in far greater uh, ratio than we do to our spiritual life or our spiritual, spiritual nature. We often find those two things are wrestling and warring. And so Satan comes to Jesus when he's in a moment of hunger. He's on a fast. He's in the wilderness. And he says, Jesus, you're like the bee's knees. You're the cat's pajamas. Like you can turn. That's what he said. It's in the Greek. If you look at the translation, 
If you want to, you can turn this stone into bread. Now, Jesus later in the New Testament does a miracle where he actually multiplies bread and fish and he feeds a multitude. Another miracle in the New Testament, he turns water into wine. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's ostensibly true that Jesus could actually do this miracle, which is why it's actually a temptation because the devil is saying to him, you have the power to feed yourself right now when you're hungry. And Jesus says, sure I do, but I'm not going to because I'm not just a physical being. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He had a higher purpose in that moment to grow in his spiritual life to the detriment of his natural life for a season and a time. Jesus was doing this thing we call fasting. He was, quote unquote, starving himself in this moment Not because he could pat himself on the back and be like, see how strong I am? I can stop eating food. But because he knew I'm feeding a different part of me. Uh, I'm feeding the spirit part of me. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We start this series called Starving. We're talking about going on a spiritual journey together to kindle a fresh hunger for God, a fresh hunger for God's presence, a fresh hunger for relationship with him, a fresh hunger to know him. And we're going to talk about these words, prayer and fasting, which kind of are scary because it sounds like even the name of this series, Starving, it's like, whoa, that's, you know, pretty scary. Well, we're not actually asking anyone to starve. um, But what we are saying is, is there a potential for us to empty ourselves out and say no for a period of time to whether it's food or media or both or other things in our life and empty out and make some room for God to do something fresh and new in our lives? That's what we're talking about. And here's what I know about this, that when we will, with intentionality, lean in and engage and, and say, God, I want to I hunger for you at a deeper level, there's going to be a deep transformation that happens. Here's the big promise that I have for you, pastor to congregation, as we start this series. If you will engage and participate over the next few weeks, you will encounter God in a whole new way. This is an easy promise to make because I know what happens when people will diligently seek God and say, I'm going to make some room for him. He shows up in those moments. So it's easy to make that promise. You will be closer to him and you will see his hand moving in your life in ways you couldn't dream. As we talk about fasting, this is what fasting says. Very simply, it says this, God, I'm more hungry for you than for the things of this world. God, I'm more hungry for you than the things of this world. Here's a definition of fasting. Fasting is the act of denying our natural desires. Again, not saying sinful desires, though, yes, let's deny our sinful desires, but that's not even the whole point here. It's not that it's bad to go eat or bad to watch TV or watch football or whatever it may be, but we deny our natural desires and intentionally emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with God's presence. So we can say like John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. The reality is that in our spiritual life and in this ratio between our natural desires and our fulfillment of natural life and our spiritual life is there's a zero-sum game. And as our life is turned over to our own agenda and our own desires and our own pursuit of our fulfillment and the things that, that even are not necessarily bad desires, that there must be a decrease in that for there to be an increase in the Godward focus of our life. I want you to imagine, if you were, you can tell I'm preaching good because I'm spitting a lot. Luckily now I'm very far away. So this is now the Shamu splash zone uh, declared right here (laughs) in the front of this platform. But 
in our life, you could look at yourself as a, say you were a, like a, 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 you know, a vessel and you, had, you could be 100% full, that our goal in this series is to make some room to empty ourselves out, not so that we could just be empty, but so that we could be filled with God's presence and with his nearness and with his purpose and his prophetic destiny. That is the goal. I think it must be said, it's interesting when you examine Christianity over and against, let's say, the Eastern religions, Eastern religions, Eastern traditions, they practice meditation and the emptying of oneself. They practice this idea of, I'm going to empty my mind and I'll just be empty. The Christian tradition says, yes, we practice fasting. We deny ourselves. We empty ourselves. We empty our thoughts, but we don't stay empty. We empty our thoughts in meditation so that we can then think about the goodness and grace of God so that we can then gaze upon the beauty of Christ in worship and that we can be transformed into his image. We don't just empty ourselves in self-denial so that we can go, man, I'm now I'm just empty. We empty ourselves that we can be filled with the character and the nature of Christ. And therefore, fasting and this pursuit of God and this, this increasing of hunger for God is not something that we do just, again, to pat ourselves on the back and get spiritual points as if in any way we could earn our way to God or make ourselves look more attractive to him in any way, we cannot. Everything we have is because of the grace of Christ given to us at the cross and received by faith. But when we fast and we empty ourselves, what we recognize is that God comes and fills the spaces and the cavities that we create in our life. That as our attention begins to be emptied of the attraction and the focus on the things of this world, that we can then gaze upon Christ and we can be then transformed into his image. That as we empty our time and we spend time in God's presence, that our anxiety and our worry and our fear begins to diminish. I must decrease. He must increase. That as we create space for God, he comes and fills it. And that's the purpose of fasting. It's the act of denying our natural desires and intentionally emptying ourselves so that we can be filled with God's presence. That's what we want. So today I want to talk about how we can do this. How do we increase our hunger for God? And we're kicking off this new series which we're really excited about. How do we increase our hunger for God? How do, we, how do we generate that desire to be with him, to be near him? Something that I really believe is that as Christians, we oftentimes chastise ourselves. We feel like I'm not doing a very good job as a Christian. I'm I'm making bad decisions and maybe I'm not spending enough time with God and so on and so forth. And it's, it's really not because we're just bad or rotten to the core. What it really is is that we're simply full. And thus the number one thing that starts on our journey of increasing our hunger for God is that we have to make space for God to fill. In the book of Proverbs, this ancient book, the writer of Proverbs wrote this brilliant little sentence. He said, a person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. This is so interesting. You know, to these ancient people, honey was like the sweetest thing. It's like dessert. It'd be like saying in our, uh, our um, context, you know, salt and straw. A person who is full refuses salt and straw ice cream, which is coming to Oakway Center. Anybody know that? If you didn't know, you do now. You're welcome. Be blessed. Be filled. Just taking a little uh, rabbit trail off the sermon, the olive oil ice cream. Oh my goodness. Now you might be thinking, I see people waving their heads. You're unbelievers. Shun the unbelievers and come into the light because <laughs> the, the olive oil ice cream, I know it sounds weird 
Has anybody had it? Raise your hand. Where are the true believers? It's good. It's so good. And they have other flavors too, but it's really good. Okay, back on track. Pastor Jake is the only one that can talk about fasting and talk about ice cream. (laughs) The person who is full refuses honey, refuses the sweet, the good, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. When you are hungry, even if it's something you really don't care that much for, you're all in because that hunger pulls you towards it. But even something you might love when you're just absolutely stuffed, you can't handle it. I think the primary problem with modern day Christians is not that they're necessarily bad or bad Christians or just like totally loser disciples or something like that as we're often kind of told and maybe even think about ourselves. I think the problem is we're just full. So we look at the buffet that God has placed out before us, his grace, his goodness, this ability to come on a Sunday morning and not just like attend a service, but like participate in the rich feast of God's presence. And this invitation that you have every morning, God has set an appointment. The being that breathed and spoke this world into existence and not only created the stars and the galaxies, but wove you fearfully and wonderfully in your mother's womb and created you and knows your idiosyncrasies and your idiot-syncrasies and yet loves you desperately, who gave his son to die on a cross for you, and he invites you every morning at your convenience to sit in his presence, speak with him and listen to his words, to get into the Bible and to read the rich feast of God's word and the prophetic picture of history and to get your your head above the the clouds and the problems of what's going on in this world and and zoom out and actually get a, a see your place in God's grand story. And we go, why don't I want that? It's not because it tastes bad and it's not because you're bad. It's because you're probably too full of the things of this world. You probably have your attention and your affection and your, and your eyes are on other things and we just get full. So it's not that we're like, oh, I don't really like church or I don't really want to read the Bible. It's that we're just full. We don't have this felt need. And yet, as the writer of Proverbs says, when you empty yourself, when you actually have a hunger There's this deep desire for it to be filled, and even the bitterest thing. Do you know, when I'm hungry for God, and I come on a Sunday morning, and I stand here with everybody, and we sing worship songs, even if I hate the song, it doesn't matter. Because when the presence of God fills the room, that hunger pain works in my belly, not my natural belly, which is getting a little, need to do some fasting. I just felt it, you know, but trying to suck it in a little bit. But my spiritual belly, that spirit man inside of me that says, God, I'm desperate for you. It doesn't matter if I like the song. Definitely not going to like the message. It doesn't even matter because I'm desperate for you. I'm hungry for you. And so it starts with making room for God. One of the things I do every day, it's it's a habit. I don't know how much my wife likes it. She probably doesn't, but I'm going to continue to do it. Confession. Sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? I always ask Bethany, what's for dinner? I'll be like, hey, babe, you know, this is usually like 6.45 a.m., 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> uh, hey, sweetie, what, what are we thinking for dinner? You know, what are we, what are we doing? And, and uh, Bethany's an incredible chef. She, like, everything she cooks is good. But there are a few things that are just, you know, top of the mountain at, at whatever moment. 
Right now for me, it's these lettuce wraps. She does like this Asian uh, kind of mix with the meat and the carrots and stuff, and, and it goes in a lettuce wrap. I'm not describing it the right way, but it's, it's out of this world. So good. And I think we're having that for dinner tonight. So it's bragging a little bit. But uh, <laughs> the fast doesn't start till next week, guys, just in case anybody was worried. But I'll say, hey, what's for dinner? Because if it's something I really, really like, it makes it so easy to say no to everything else the rest of the day. Somebody says, hey, you want some of these fries from Burger King? Nah, no, I'm good. Do you want some ice cream? No, I'm good. Do you want this snack? Do you want to have that, that, you know, bag of peanuts? No, I'm good. I can say no to so much in anticipation of the feast that awaits me. It's not an issue of me being disciplined or like a physical fitness guy. As I said, I've given up those ways. You know, I'm, I've embraced, I've embraced this, this couch surfing life. But it's easy to say no to everything else when you're really excited about something. And when we, when we think about our spiritual life and making room for God, it isn't about us being more disciplined. It's about being more delighted in the feast that awaits us. And understanding that what God has made available to us in his presence, in the pursuit of him, in a relationship with him, in our spiritual life, is so much richer than anything we could find in this world to fill ourselves up with. Fasting as a spiritual discipline admits something important, that we always fill our lives up. You know, I asked this question in, in first service, but how many of you, and, I, and I'd like you to raise your hand if you do, but raise your hand if you just, you never ever listen to anything, music or podcasts or radio when you drive. Is that you? Like, who, who just drives around in total silence? Anybody? Anybody? There was a couple people in first service, but here's the thing. Raise your hand if you actually always fill the sound up in the car when you drive anywhere. There's radio, there's a podcast, right? The majority of us. The reality is if you actually study this out, in our society, we, we have very little time that is for nothing. We tend to fill every spare moment up. If we're not filling it up with work, we fill it up with entertainment. And even in our entertainment, when people go on vacation, how many of you are more tired when you come home from vacation than when you left? Well, people are called parents, right? <laughs> Raise your hand. But the reality is even going on vacation, we tease my mom, I call her the oligarch of fun because like everyone has to have fun. Everyone has to have the same amount of fun. No one will not have fun. And so we, every moment is filled. Even on vacation, we don't do nothing. We have to go do a bunch of stuff and we come home more tired because we tend to fill our lives up. And what would happen if we said, you know what, Lord, I want to make room in my life. I want to create some margin, some white space, some emptiness, not so I could sit and be empty, but that I could be filled with your presence and I could be filled with the water of life and your spirit. Pastor Jess Strickland, the author of this book, Starving, that we're, we're going through as a church, and Bethany will tell you a little bit more about that in the, uh, in the uh, announcements after. But he said this, a quote from the book, and I think it's absolutely wonderful. One of the benefits of fasting is that it can be used by the Holy Spirit to starve false gods out of our hearts while at the same time reorienting our spirits toward feasting relationally on the true God who is above all gods. One purpose of starving the false gods out of our inner lives is to allow Jesus to take the place in our hearts that he deserves, exclusive, central, and ultimate. We make room for God because he, we, we want to feast on that relationship with him. And so number one is to make room for God. And we'll talk more about how to practically do that, but embrace that principle. I need to make room, make space empty myself, say no to some things, not because I'm just saying no, but because 
By saying no, I make room to say yes to something else. The second principle I want to share with you is this, that after we make room for God, we need to, number two, do this, cultivate a hungry heart. Cultivate a hungry heart. In Jeremiah 29, 13, the Lord speaks this word through the prophet Jeremiah to his people who are at this time in exile in Babylon. And so this, this prophecy, this word has meaning for them at that time, but I believe by extension it applies to us today. God says to them, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. There's something about the principle of pursuit. There's something about the principle of intentionally going after something that matters to you and that the ratio of intensity, the, 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 the passion and the, the desire that you come after someone or something, that it changes the fundamental nature of the experience. Bethany and I are coming up on 15 years of marriage. And man, I love my, my wife more now than I did when we were 22 years old, standing before God, pledging our love to each other on that, on that altar. But there's something about marriage that, you know, as it ebbs and flows, and there's good years and hard years and so on and so forth, but there's something about this idea of pursuit, that when my wife pursues my heart and when I pursue her heart, when it's not just being mailed in, when it's not just like, hey, good morning, what's up, you know? And, like, I'm not trying to say that every day has to be like Fabio coming in on a horse with no shirt, you know? <laughs> I get that. Um, I, I relate more to Flabio than Fabio, you know? So, but... There is the mundane, there is the domestic, and there's a romance in the domestic life. Of course there is. But there is something about saying, hey, baby, uh, I actually like took a shower and I want to take you on a date. And here's some flowers. Like pursuit. When my wife pursues me, she cares about my interests and she asks me how I'm doing. And, you know, you get what I'm saying. There's something about pursuit. And with God, why would we think that a relationship with God would be different than a human relationship? Why would it be less? Why would it be less significant? God is saying, look, there's something about the intensity of your pursuit that when your passion is for me and you pursue me, you're going to find me. There's something about God wanting him. He wants us to pursue. He wants us to chase. He wants that desire, that, that passion. And yet, you think about the disrespect that we often come to the Lord with. Here, again, is the God who created all things. Here is the God who is all-powerful. Here is Jesus whose blood ran, ran down a Roman cross to pay for your sins and mine. And we say, oh God, I guess if it suits my schedule, I could give you an hour or so, unless Pastor Jake goes too long and then I'll skip the next week. But I could give you an hour on a Sunday to bless you with my presence. And we come to church and we expect that, well, the band better be on, on tune and on track. And if I like the songs, then I guess if I'm overwhelmed in the emotion of the moment, that I could offer some worship. As if the drop of spit does anything for God's ocean. And if we were to reframe it and realize God has made the feast available to us. Take Sundays out of the equation. What about Monday morning at 6.30 when you wake up and you can find out who the new coach for the Ducks is or you can meet with Jesus. I'm just too full, Pastor. I, I don't really feel very hungry. What if we began to make space? And then what if we said, God, I want to begin to cultivate a heart that's hungry for you again. I want to fall in love, as we sang today. I want to fall in love with you again. Christianity without passion is terrible. 
I've been a Christian a long time. I know many of you have. And any of us that have had an ongoing relationship with the Lord, or if you're just married and you understand, you can use that analogy or that, that definition of a relationship. When the passion is not there, it's not fun. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The cross without the, the, without the oil of the Holy Spirit and the love of God creating the, the moment. I mean, without passion, without affection, without the reality of that romance, it's not good. It often creates Pharisees and religious people who end up doing what they should be doing in the oil of the Holy Spirit, but they have no oil, and like an engine, they wrench up together and burn up and break. But a, a relationship with God that is passionate and fresh and there's affection and there's passion and intimacy with God, that's like amazing. I remember as a, as a youth, you know, I'm not a youth anymore, I'm 700 years old, but when I was a teenager and I was building a relationship with the Lord, coming to know him in a real way as, you know, as a uh, moving out of being a child into being an adolescent, I would, I would lay down in front of my uh, speakers. My dad had this old stereo system. You know, nowadays we, we can carry like our entire library of songs on Spotify and iPhone and some AirPods. But like back in my day, you had to like have a truck to move your stereo around. You know what I mean? So it was like these big speakers. They were like three feet tall, two feet wide. They're wood. I mean, they were like a hundred pounds a piece. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you had like, you had your amplifier, the amp that powered the speakers. You had your cassette deck player. For those of you that are under 30, cassettes are these like, never mind. But anyways, cassettes, CD player. And we had like a really fancy one. You could put five CDs in. Ooh, you know, it was a big deal. Pioneer, you know, it was like a big deal. And uh, the whole thing. And I would put delirious CDs in and I would lay down on my face in my room and I can smell the brown carpet, probably develop some lung problems from that. But I would lay down. And I would just spend hours in the presence of God because I was cultivating a hungry heart. I remember when I got hired on at Joy Church Medford, I was about 19, 20 years old, and a couple of us young guys, I had some younger guys that were part of our internship, and I said, hey, um, we're going to begin to take just hours of every day to spend with God. And we would take two hours a day, four or five days a week, and we would spend time in the presence of God in prayer and worship. My brother Gino and Thomas West, who you guys, some of you know, they been around a little bit, but we just spend a couple hours a day. Now you go, well, that's not practical for me. Well, it wasn't practical for me either. I just didn't have anything better to do. And when I say that, I don't mean that there was something better to do. It's that in that time of my life, I realized there literally is not anything better to do than this. And I was cultivating a hungry heart. Now, I'm not saying you need to pray for two hours a day. It's the time and this duration. No, no, no. What I'm saying is there's something about grabbing that spade and going into the soil of your heart and beginning to dig some things out that don't need to be there and letting God plant some things that do need to be there. Well, let me ask you this question. When's the last time that you took that spade and you went into your quiet place and you made enough room to actually have a moment with God and you said, God, speak to me. And you waited until he did with an intention to obey what he said. When's the last time you sat in his presence and said, I don't have anything better to do? Not ironically, but literally, this is the highest. This is the best. God, I sit at your feet. I'm your servant. I'm your child. And I want to dwell in your presence. In Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
They entered a village, it says, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What Jesus didn't say is, Martha, you shouldn't be serving. No. Martha, you're doing the wrong stuff. No, he didn't say that. He said, Martha, Mary has chosen the good portion. One thing is necessary, that in this moment, the most important thing in the room is Jesus. It's weird because if you're religious, you're going to really hate a lot of the stuff Jesus said. One time this woman came and she was a really big time sinner and she came and she took her life savings in the form of an alabaster box, it's like a porcelain vase, filled with costly oils. And it, and it was like a life savings. It was like ten dollars to $20,000 in our money. And that's kind of a, a thought that scholars have. And she took this and Jesus would have been sitting at a table in the Middle Eastern fashion on his knees with his feet behind him because they didn't have tables like we sit at with our feet under the table. They actually sat at small, few inches off the ground on a rug sitting there with his knees, his feet out behind him. And this woman comes and she takes her hair and she breaks this oil and she washes Jesus' feet. And one of the disciples was like, well, uh, you could have given that money to the poor. And all the religious people are like, that's right. And Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor with you. But she did this for my glory and that's going to be remembered for her forever. Don't ever criticize a person who chooses to put Jesus first in their life over even their religious duties. Jesus didn't say not to take care of the poor. You should take care of the poor, but you should always put him first. Take care of him. That relationship is the thing that creates in you the ability to help anyone else. That's why on an airplane they say, put your oxygen mask on first before you help somebody to your left or right. Cultivating a hungry heart recognizes that Jesus is and always will be the prize. That relationship is the thing. In Genesis chapter 15, back in the Old Testament, Abram was this Middle Eastern kind of patriarch, warlord guy. He has 318 trained servants. They go on this mission. They defeat five kings. They have a mountain of treasure and goods that have been taken from the surrounding cities. And he says, no, I don't want any of it. Uh, just feed the guys that came with me. Give them their portion. Uh, I'm good. And he, he, he feeds his armies and everything, but he doesn't take the, the treasure. And then in the next chapter, the Lord comes to him in a vision and says to him, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And again, in Old Testament style and then looking into the New Testament, the same message is coming through. God is the prize. Relationship with him is it. There's not something that you're aiming for where someday we'll get there. Someday things will be better. Yes, someday things will be better. And God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But the end result of all of it is what you can experience and enjoy now, which is Him. A relationship with Him. He is the prize. He is the great reward. In my relationship with Bethany, 15 years, coming up on 15 years of marriage, 
I'm not aiming for us to get to our 80s so we can brag about that we've been married for 60 years. The prize is the relationship every day. It's that somehow this beautiful woman has stayed married to a guy who's half Bigfoot. Who smells like it, like 100% Bigfoot. That she's loving our children and she's living out her life and her mission and vision in God and she's walking with me and we're walking together and every day is the blessing. What is the end object of marriage? What is the end object of love and romance? The journey is the destination. And in your relationship with God, have you now placed something out there in front of you where you go, someday I'll get to some relationship with him and I'll be better and he'll love me more or what? No. He's inviting you right now to come and to know him and to walk with him. He is the prize. And the journey is the destination. Can God do things in your life? Is he going to do great things? Is he going to change nations? And you're going to lead and, and do great things? Absolutely. But it comes out of that relationship. As we finish, Bethany and I love the show uh, The Crown. And we were watching The Crown. In the first season, there's this moment, and the Lord spoke to me through it. Uh, Prince Philip, who's going to marry Queen, who becomes Queen Elizabeth, he's like trying to be like the big man on town, you know, bring change and be this leader. And King George brings him in one day, sits him down, and he says, uh, Philip, you need to understand something. She is the job. Philip, it's not about you being a leader. It's not about what you're going to do. You need to, you need to put your attention and focus on Elizabeth because she is the job. And the Lord spoke to me when I heard that moment. I thought, man, how often do I think that I need to be great? I need to do this and I need to do that for God and I need to be this leader and I need to do such, so on and so forth and just be great. And the Lord comes and says, Jake, I am the job. He is the job. He's the prize. Relationship with God is the prize. So those two things. How do we increase hunger for God? Number one, we make room. Number two, we cultivate a hungry heart. Just practically as we go today, three very quick things. Number one, I just encourage you to set some time aside. Because as we make room for God, if we don't have time to even meet with him or hear him or just even get yourself a little bit disconnected from the world and your appetites of this world, not even the bad stuff, just all of it, you got to set some time aside. If it's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that's great. 7.30 in the morning, 7.30 at night, up to you. Number two, just turn down the volume on the world. Tune out. You know, take whatever your favorite propaganda is that you subscribe to that is absolute truth, you know, from the news that you know is 100% true and totally fair and balanced. Like, whatever one you think, you know, those of you that are like CNN, Fox, whatever, turn it off, turn it down, whatever. I'm not even criticizing it. I'm just saying turn it down. Turn down the volume. Well, have you heard this podcast? No, I'm not going to. Turn it down. Because, man, there's a lot of people that are awesome. They have great opinions. And then there's God and his opinion matters more. So why would you listen to theirs if you haven't listened to his? People are always like, read this book, listen to this, watch this. Well, maybe. But what matters more to me is I don't want to listen to anybody's voice until I've heard his voice. So turn down the volume. Number three, Fill yourself with God's word. As you set time aside, as you turn down the volume, and you go, what do I fill this with? Start with the Bible. Read your Bible. Just take that time to savor it and enjoy that feast that's prepared for you because I guarantee you that if you'll do this, God's going to speak to you. He's going to change you and he's going to work 
in you. And it's not that you're going to become a better person. You're going to become a different person because he's going to transform you from the inside out. He's going to change your heart, change your mind, change your perspectives, and you're going to look more like Jesus. So let's make room for God and let's cultivate that hungry heart. Father, we thank you today. Lord, you're leading us into this season of emptying ourselves, not just to be empty, but so we can be filled with you. Lord, help us to see that you are the prize. You are our exceedingly great reward. And God, I pray that we would fall more in love with you, that you'd rekindle that first love fire inside of us. Jesus, we're open up to you. Come and have your way. We love you. We invite you in to us individuals and into this congregation, Lord, as a church, that God, we're going to leave the month of January starving starving for you, hungry, desperate, that there'll be a deeper love and a deeper passion, a deeper relationship with you that comes out of this time of prayer and fasting in Jesus' name. Go ahead and keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If there's anybody here today, say, Pastor Jake, I want a relationship with Jesus. I need to know him for real. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand today? This is a great time to make that decision, that commitment just raise your hand. Pastor Jake, I'm not walking with him, but I want to. I want to experience his grace. I want to know him. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just raise up your hand so I can see, and we're going to pray with you today. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer. Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray this prayer together, all of us. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace and mercy at the cross where you died and paid for my sins. And thank you that you rose again and gave me everlasting life. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Amen.